Well, well, welcome this morning to New Life Church. Good to see all of you guys here with us today on, uh, in, pre- in person, but also those of you watching and participating online. Let me invite you to open your Bibles or your, your Bible apps, whatever you're using today, to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, and then also, you'll have to go back a little ways to Isaiah chapter 43. If you're new to us today or haven't been able to uh, participate online or here with us in person, we're in the middle of a sermon series this summer uh, called The Parables of Jesus. We're, we're not able to cover all of them because there's like over 40 parables to cover, but we're covering some of those. Uh, we have covered the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great value, the parable of the talents. And today we're going to attempt to cover the parable of the wise and foolish servants uh, with a message that I've titled, Ready and Waiting. Ready and Waiting. Let's look at this here in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to actually pick up and start in verse 37, just a little uh, shy of the actual parable. The words of Christ says, When the Son of Man returns... It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. and One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come, when you least expect it. And then he goes into the parable. He says, A faithful, sensible, or wise servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. And if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. And the master will return unannounced and unexpected. He will cut the servant into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to be that person. That's not a good end and outcome for him. The parable of the wise and foolish servants, it, it addresses what will we be doing and how will we be living when Jesus returns? Will he find us doing what he has called us to do, living the life that he has created us to live for him? 
and for his purpose. It addresses that. This whole chapter, chapter 24, is kind of framed around the return of Christ, Jesus' second coming. And uh, it starts out, his disciples ask him, hey, what will be the sign? Can you just let us know, hey, when, it's, when are you going to come back? Can you kind of give us an inside, you know, look to when that will happen? And he's like, well, you can look at this. He starts to name off quite a few things. He said there will be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes. Some translations say there will be pandemics or epidemics. You don't say. He said, but really, that's all just the beginning. Goes on to say there's going to be some arrests for those who live for me. There's going to be intense persecution for those who live for me. Many are going to turn away from me, the Lord says. He said people are going to hate people. People are going to be deceived in many ways. He said sin will be rampant. He said the love of many will actually grow cold. But the good news will be preached in the whole world. And then he said, then the end will come. It goes on to say that, hey, there's going to be false messiahs and false prophets out there. People saying, here I am, here, there I am. He said, don't listen to them. It's not true. Because he goes on and he ends and says, because no one really knows the day or the hour when this will happen. And kind of midways in that, he says, those who endure to the end are the ones who will be saved. Those who last. Those who persevere. And he goes into this parable and he says in verse 46 that when the master returns, may he he find the servant that has done a good job. For that's the one who will get their reward. Luke tells this, writes this same parable, and he says it this way, the servants who are ready and waiting for their master's return will be rewarded. The ready and the waiting. I want to be the, on the side of the ready and the waiting for his return, because that's the, those are the ones, he says, those are the servants whom will receive their reward. Those are the ones who will get everything that God has. Those are the ones who will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the side I would hope we would all want to be on. So how do we live ready? How do we live waiting? How do we get ourselves and know that ourselves are in this position, so to speak? Well, I want to draw some insight from from the gospel of Isaiah, as some theologians call him. But the the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, we're going to just look at two and a half verses here. And I think he shares and sheds some light on uh, his footsteps. If we would just follow in these footsteps, I think it will help us to have greater clarity, confidence, faith, assurance, direction for our life that we can live ready and waiting for the return of Christ, as this parable talks about. This, this uh, prophecy is given, kind of the backdrop of it, is uh, the natural times of this, of this writing that uh, it's in a time of uncertainty, a time of a lot of unknowns. There's some 
uh, unrest across the nations. And Isaiah is here. The Lord gives him this word to share. Um, Even though there was uncertainty in the natural, they had this anchor of hope in the supernatural power of God and His sovereignty that no matter what, our Lord God knows what He will do. Our Lord God will not forget us. Our Lord God knows us. And that's what Isaiah comes back across with and gives, gives these words, kind of like our day and time now. It's a parallel. There's uncertainty in our world. There's a, feels like maybe there's more uncertainty now than maybe ever before. Uh, maybe a lot of, there's a lot of unknowns in our day and time. A lot of factors in play, and it can create all of these up and down thoughts and emotions, so to speak. And, and that's what Isaiah comes back, and he says this in verse 1. He says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, do not be afraid. I have ransomed you or I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression... You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Catch what he says at the beginning of this. Now, says the Lord. You have a past that's filled with whatever. You have a future that feels uncertain. But where you are presently right now, he says, The Lord says, look to me, focus right on me. And that's what we have to look at. We have have our past. We have our future that's filled with whatever. But he says, "Look, look at me in this moment, in your present day time, in your present day life. Look to me, not not just anyone. Isaiah gives this word. He says, it's capital L, Lord. Capital G, God. This is not just some anybody speaking. This is not some lowercase Lord and lowercase God trying to talk to you. This is the Lord God who is talking to you. This is the one who created you, who formed you, who redeemed you, who called you by name, and who is yours. And you are his. So let's look at that. Created. Ways we can live ready and waiting for the return of Christ, that he will find us. May he find us ready. May he find us waiting. May he find us in the position of living the way he has called us to live. We must remember some things. We must remember what Isaiah says. Remember the one who created you. Remember the one who created you to cause you to come into being to cause you to exist. So I think it's wise we go back to where it all started, Genesis 1, verse 1. These verses will be up, should be on the screen and on your screen at home to watch. It says, in the beginning God created what? The heavens and the earth. And then on down, verse 27, it says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
Male and female, he created them. Chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed his breath into his, uh, a breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living person. Verse 21 says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs, closed up the opening, then the Lord God made a, a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. We're created in the image and the likeness of God. God personally formed us and breathed his breath in us. God willed us to come into existence. And Isaiah says you need to remember the one who created you in your time right now, in your present day life, where it might be dark, it might be gloomy, it might be dismal, it might, it might be disappointing, it's certainly not what you thought it would be, and all of these things happening in your world and in your life. Remember who created you. David cried out in Psalm 139, and he wrote this out of the Passion Translation. The translation says, you formed my innermost being, talking about God. He said, you, you shaped my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and you wove them all together in my mother's womb. And I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. You meet anybody you don't understand, just call them mysteriously complex. Maybe it's, um, people think that about me too. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me. This is David talking about how the Lord created life. He said, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully, shaping me from nothing into something. He says, you saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. God is the author and the sustainer of life. And David just getting blown away by the revelation of, man, all I've been through, all I've had to deal with, and where I am right now, I'm reminded that it is God, my God, who fashioned me, my God who called me into existence, my God who created me, my God who penned my destiny, who wrote it out, and if I will just look to him, and I will remember the one who created me, that he is right here with me. But Isaiah goes on and he says, God, you need to also remember it is the Lord God who formed you. Who formed you means to purpose you like a potter with clay. To purpose your life like a potter does with clay. You know, we are constantly being formed by God for a purpose. To live holy lives. And living a holy life doesn't mean we, we all dress a certain way. And we, we all walk a certain way. And we have this proper thing going on about us. It, Holy means to be dedicated, to be set apart to God. Okay, it's not man-made, it's God-created, God-made. God calls us to live a life set apart for Him. And He forms us to live this life like a potter takes clay and pulls it and puts it on the potter's wheel and then begins to 
form it into the creation that he has in his mind. He has this image that he's going to make with his hands out of this clay. And that's what God does with us. He pulls us, sets us aside, and he works. And that's the whole, that's our entire existence on earth. God constantly, he's working on us. He's forming us like a potter does with clay. He sets us apart in our position. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, You are not like this. You are a chosen people, royal priest, a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. And he said, as a result, you can now show others the goodness of God For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God calls us out of darkness and puts us in his light, sets us apart. And so we're set apart from this world, meaning, hey, we think differently, we believe differently, we act differently, we live differently. Why? Because the world is completely opposite of the kingdom of God. The world's ways are completely opposite. God's kingdom way is actually the true way, the real way of living life. And so we are here, God calls us, God sets us apart, and he forms us, begins to shape us to live the to live our purpose set apart for him. You know, there are just some things that we just shouldn't be doing. I know in our day and time, everybody gets offended these days. I mean, you can't dare think something true without somebody feeling the reverberation of your truthful thought and it hurting their feelings. Such a sad day and time. But Jesus warned us this would be the hour. This would be happening. People will will turn from truth and turn turn to lie. People will no longer love. They will hate one another. People will be so deceived. Sin will be rampant. Things like this, we shouldn't be shocked in the sense that it happens because Jesus told us it was going to happen. And that's part of the sign that his return is getting closer and closer and closer and closer, more than it obviously ever has been before. And there are just some things, people who are called in Christ to live for Christ, who profess Christ. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm just saying there are some things we should aim our life at not trying to do because God says don't think that way, don't live that way, don't believe that way because my ways are better, my ways are awesome, and who I am is who I am, and I have created you to become more like me. Amen. So we're set apart in our position, but worship is our action. I'm digging a little deeper in this one here with God forming us. Worship is our action. Worship is, is not about singing a song. What we did today so far has worship. You being here in person or watching online, that's part of worship. What is worship? It's the act of putting something first. Oftentimes people have said worship is a lifestyle because worship is about what we put first in our life. The spiritual discipline of worship is putting God first. It's a discipline because it's not always easy to do that. 
As much as we think we do that, there are many times that we don't do that, myself included. I like to think, man, I put God first all the time. But man, sometimes I put myself first above him. I put what I want above what God wants. And it happens in all of our lives. And that's why it's the spiritual act of discipline to put God first in our life. But when we do put God first in our life, when we worship Him, putting Him first, it literally changes our life. One, it proves our priorities. When we put God first in our life, it really does prove our priorities. What we value the most will be at the top of the list, so to speak. When we put God first, it unifies us with God. It makes us one with Him. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see other people. And it certainly changes our perception of God because when you get closer to God, you see the bigness and the big heart of God displayed in your life. Worship unifies us with God. Number three, worship fills the space in our life. We're all born with space in us. We're all born with some kind of space in our heart. And we look to things and we look to this world to fill that space. You fill in the blank when that's what will fill that space. But worship, putting God first, causes God to fill that space. It's really a God-shaped hole that really only He can fill. Because if you think about life... You think about the path of your life so far. In any moment, any time, in anything, you've tried to fill that space with anything but God first. What happens? You're disappointed. It's not enough. You're dissatisfied. You got to have more. You got to go and get this. You got to go and have that. You got to have this person. You got to have this material thing. You got to have something that you can engage with and connect with. But think about the path of life and all the times and all the days and all the moments that we have put God first. You have peace. You have fulfillment. You have an inward desire that is met. You really don't care what everybody else is doing. you're You're not watching what everybody else is wearing. You're not worried about what other people are saying. Think about those moments when you put God first. He fills that space in our life. And like this parable, like this parable of the wise and foolish servants, when the master returns and he finds the servant that has done a good job, that's the one that will be rewarded. So how, how can we guarantee you that we, we can live a lot, this faith life putting God first? Well, when we give him our time. Give him our time. When we, when we, when, if we'll begin our day in the word, if we'll begin our day in prayer, if we'll begin our day thinking and meditating on, on him What happens is throughout that day, it allows more room in our day for God to be first in each and every situation. 
in each and every scenario, in each and every contact we have going on throughout a day, when we start our day and give God our time, then it opens up our life for that day for God to then be first in our day throughout the entire day. When we lay our head on our pillow and we prepare to go to sleep, we can lie down in peace and we can sleep in peace because we have put God first in our day. We can make God first by making giving him our treasure. When we tithe and we give God the first, what happens? Money no longer becomes the object. God becomes the one who is pursued and worshipped. Money no longer controls and rules us, but the Lord, our God, does. And it puts us in the, in the place to see that God is our source, that God is our provision. And no matter how you try to add 2 plus 2 to equal 4, in God's economy, it never equals that. There's always a surprise element on how God will show up to bless and to preserve and to protect and to provide in ways that are really just hard to give explanation to. And if we give, we make God first, put him first with our talents. Think about of all of who you are, spirit, soul, and body, the unlimited amount of potential that resides inside us, and we yield ourselves to the Lord that, God, today I'm going to serve you. What does that mean? It means wherever you go, at work, at school, at home, in the neighborhood, in the restaurant, in a grocery store, while wearing your mask or whatever, you can still serve God because what it does when we give, when we make God first in who he's made us to be, It allows God to be expressed in us and through us. I don't know how many people we encounter on a given day or how many conversations we might have or how many conversations we try to not have. But when we will just aim to put God first with the way he's made us and who he's created us to be, it gives room for God to be known, to be seen, to be heard, and to be felt through our life. God forms us, purposes us for a purpose. Talking about living ready and waiting for Jesus' return. How will he find us? In what condition will we be in when he comes? I say it that way because the reality is no one knows when he will, but we're told by the word to live ready, to live waiting for that time. Either he comes or he calls each of us home to him. At whatever moment will we be ready and waiting for him. And Isaiah commissions us, calls us to another thing. Remember, it was the Lord God who redeemed you. Right now in your present day life, remember, he redeemed you. means to ransom by payment. To ransom by payment. 1 Peter 1.18 Peter writes, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now he has revealed him to you in these last days. We are redeemed 
through Jesus. Jesus, he paid the price for us. He actually bought us, not to drive us to do what he wants us to do, but rather to rescue us from ourselves, to rescue us from this world, to rescue us from the devil. Because when, when we live for him and, we, and he allows us to see that, then with, but without him, what happens? Without him, we'll find ourselves living selfishly for us. Without him, we'll find ourselves following the ways of the world. And without him, we'll fall subject to the entrapments of the enemy. To trip us, to hang us up, to get us caught up in a life with no meaning, with no purpose, and not for which God created us for. And Isaiah gives this prophecy that continues to echo through the generations. Hey, remember it was the Lord God who redeemed you, who bought you so that you could live the purpose that God created you to live. But he also says this, remember the Lord God who called you by name, who called you by name to call out, to invite into something. What has he invited us into? God calls our name, inviting us into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And it's in this relationship that we begin to discover who we are and whose we are. I love this verse in Acts chapter 17. I've chosen the Passion version for this says the true God, now let me set this up, Paul is in Athens on a journey and they're filled with unbelievers all around him, worshiping all kinds of idols and unknown gods and he sees this one statue of, who is, it's labeled the unknown God and he's praying and thinking, how am I going to convince these people? How am I going to get the truth into them that it's about the Lord God? And he sees that statue of the unknown God, and he's like, that's the door. So he goes to them, and he tells them, that statue that you say is the unknown God is really the true God, the creator of all things. It says he is the owner and the Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. He doesn't live in man-made temples. He supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him, for he has all things and everything that he needs. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and sets every race of humanity. Excuse me, let me get back on track. He made every man and woman and every race of humanity, and he spread us all over the earth. Then he says, he sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. You ever want to know why you were living for such a time as this? Because our God said so. This is the time that God wants you and me alive. This is the hour that he has chosen in history's calendar. This is when I want you to exist. This is where I want you to be. This is who I've called you to live as. It says he has done this so that every person in every generation of time, would long for God, would feel their way to him, and would find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. And he goes on and says this, it is through him that we live and function and we have our identity. 
You know, our true identity and purpose, our mission and our aim in life isn't truly unlocked and revealed until Jesus Christ comes into our life. He unlocks it because he is the exact image of God, Colossians tells us. And Genesis 1 tells us we're created in the image and the likeness of God. And the one who ransomed us and the one who calls us, invites us into a relationship with Jesus. And he begins to open up our eyes and make us begin to see this is what you were created for. You were created for a life to live for the Lord. You were created to live set apart, wholly dedicated, loving God, worshiping God, pointing your life to God so that everybody around you can see that is the way, that is the truth, and that is the life. And none of that comes to, to fruition and none of that begins to come to pass until we accept that invitation. God calls our name. And Isaiah reminds us, and it falls in line with this parable, if we want to be among the living, if we want to be among the ready and the waiting, we need to hear him call our name. And we need to walk in that. And then lastly, he says, you are mine. You guys good for me to just take this last point and wrap up here? Good? Okay. He says, you are mine. We really do belong to Christ Jesus. He claims us. He wants us. Because he loves us. And I love this part about God. In our shortcomings... He's not embarrassed by us. Think about that. In our shortcomings, he's not embarrassed by us. He's not ashamed when we make our mistakes. Now, he doesn't, of course, like that. It's not his will for our life to constantly do that. But his love is so great and so pure that he doesn't shrink back from wanting us. And listen to this in Romans 8. Paul writes, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? The scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. And the answer is no, despite All these things that are going on, despite people's love growing cold, despite people hating each other, despite sin being rampant, despite people not loving me and following me, falling away from me, despite all of that, despite wars and all the other things, despite earthquakes, despite famines, despite pandemics and epidemics, whatever is happening in your present life, Overwhelming victory is ours through Fox News. Overwhelming victory is ours through TBN. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. Overwhelming victory is ours through who come on let me hear you say it overwhelming victory is ours through let me hear you at home and here in in person overwhelming victory is ours through christ who loved us says i'm convinced 
Nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Somebody hear this. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Paul says, indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Isaiah, echoing from generations ago, from 700 B.C., shouting to us today, remember, you his. You see all the uncertainty around you. You see the cray-cray stuff going on. I told you this stuff would happen. But in the middle of it happening, you are mine, says the Lord. You are mine. And because God creates because God forms, because God redeems, because God calls. He lays out these promises in our life. He goes, Isaiah goes on, he says, hey, you'll experience deep waters. Those places in life that you can't touch, where you feel like you're drowning, where you feel like you're overwhelmed, where you feel like you're sinking, where it's unfamiliar in your life, just remember, God is with you. So you're going to experience some troubling waters. You're going to go through them. But remember, those are places that try to beat you, that try to push you, that try to run over you. But remember, it is the Lord God who is with you. So you're going to experience some intense fires in your life, places that really burn, places that really test faith, places that really test your sincerity, places that really test your willingness to love and to forgive people after experiencing certain interactions. But as remember this, you belong to him and he is with you. Let me invite you to stand at home, if you would, just as best as you can. Quiet yourself. Because we can either yield to our present day situations and our present conditions and we can let them overtake us. And we can let them keep us from truly living for the purpose for which we were created. Or, or we can cling to Jesus. And that no matter what, we can keep putting faith in Him. Because God is for us, God is with us. No matter what we may face in life, no matter what we may deal with in life, no matter what we may go through in life and what we're going through right now, folks, really the only hope you and I have is to cling to Christ. Just as, just as Christ clung to the cross until he said, it is finished, you and I must cling to Jesus until he says, it is finished. May he find us living for him. May he find us doing what he's called us to do.
May he find us being who he has created us to be. Because the word tells us that the servants who are ready and waiting are the ones who will receive their reward. Come on, if you want to be a part of the ready and the waiting, just lift your hands to the Lord. I just want to pray in closing. Lord, we want to be a part of those who are ready and waiting. We want to be the wise servants who are doing a good job, who are serving well, who are living for you well. We get, you know, we're not perfect, but in our heart, with the aim of our life, we look to you. So today I pray you would strengthen us all. I pray today, God, you would quicken within us a greater resolve to stand and to stand firm. Lord, may our hearts not grow cold. May hate not rise up within us. Lord, may we not depart our faith. Peter said he would never deny you, and man, he did. Let us be the ones who will endure to the end. And those are the ones who will be saved. We want to say, God, count us in because we mean it. But in saying it and meaning it, we know we can't do it without you. So Holy Spirit, come. I pray a fresh infusion, a a fresh infilling in our hearts today. A freshness of the Holy Spirit in our life to quicken within us the truth of your word, the conviction of your word, the rightness of your word, the love of your word, the direction of your word, the upholding of your word in our life the foundation of your word to be strong that will light and guide our path. We look to you to be ready and waiting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.